think of the possibilities if you had a team of two or three couples, two or three singles, and they all had a primary calling in the marketplace. Think about the relational connections they would have in all the nooks and crannies of that city or that community. Think of the financial stability. I mean, just the resources they would have available when all these people had a primary calling in the marketplace. Welcome to another episode of the podcast, and today is one of those ridiculously practical episodes. Now, what I believe is that talking about money today feels like taboo, it feels shameful, and especially to so many ministry leaders, it feels like something that they just shouldn't be talking about. Maybe if you talk about it too much, you're complaining. Maybe if you talk about it too much, it feels like you're just about the money. And so we want to get in the way And we want to eliminate some of the awkwardness around money. I know for me, I've always had a side hustle. I mean, for a long, long time, I've just had to think as our family has grown, we don't live in the cheapest place here in Colorado. I've just always had to think about money. And so really what we see is that so many leaders today are having to get side hustles and having to think differently and having to think as a bivocational leader with several income streams to say, if I want to do what God has called me to do, that I'm going to have to get tricky about money and tricky about my time. And that creates its own complexities, but I think it creates its own freedoms as well. And the more and more I coach leaders, the more I realize this is a taboo topic that really needs to be talked about more than it is. I think it's probably easier for leaders to talk about issues within their marriages, relational issues, maybe things that they feel shameful about, maybe even sexual and porn issues before talking about money. It is a topic that just doesn't get discussed enough. And today on the podcast, we're going to talk about it. I believe that 80% of leaders in nonprofit work make about 80% of what they need to survive. That means that most leaders, I think, don't make enough, but make almost enough to be able to provide for their families. And I don't believe people get into nonprofit work and kingdom work so that they can make a ton of money. I just don't see that. Maybe a few people, but I just want to to clear the air and say, I know that many of you listening just aren't making enough to be able to provide for your family and your role may not be sustainable. So when we have those conversations in coaching, we felt like it was really important to have those conversations here on the podcast. So I brought a friend of mine, Brad Briscoe, onto the podcast, and we're going to talk about money. Money and mission, money and ministry. How does it all work together? What happens if there's not enough in the tank? And what happens if you are working bivocationally? If you have two or three different income sources, this podcast is for you. And there may be somebody that you click that share button, you copy it, you text it to them because they may be wrestling through this tension right now. It is a tension. There's some good things. There's some hard things. There's some bad things in the process of this, but times are a changing and ministry models are changing right now and the money that comes in with them. So I think this is an, an incredible conversation with Brad Briscoe. He works with the North American Mission Board with both, both established churches and church plants and missionaries to think through this bivocational paradigm. He has tons of wisdom to offer on the topic. So here's my conversation with my friend, Brad Briscoe. Well, excited to talk about money and time and jobs and vocation here today with Brad Briscoe. So Brad, thanks for joining us on the podcast. You bet, Alan. Good to be with you. So Brad, you wear a lot of different hats. Tell us about the different hats that you wear right now in this season. Well, uh, 
my day job is I work for the SIN network at the North American Mission Board. I've actually uh, worked for NAM for, for 20 years this last month. So most of that, the last for, for the first 17 years, uh, it was what we call a CPC or a church planting catalyst. So I just helped to recruit and train and resource church planters in Kansas City. Uh, but then about three years ago, I took a new role that we just called Director of Bivocational Church Planting. So I work with Bivo and what we call co-vocational planters kind of all over North America, uh, just providing resources and training for them, hopefully be an encouragement. Um, then do a little bit of writing over the years and, um, and, and then just do a lot of work also with existing congregations that are just trying to kind of figure out how to best activate all the people of God to engage in missions. So I really enjoy both of those hats. I mean, working with, with church planters, starting new things, but then also working with existing churches. I've loved crossing paths over the years, different events and things we've spoken at and the groups that you're forming and shaping. Brad, so much of your ministry seems to revolve around, like you said, activating people for the mission of God. Tell me a little bit about that. Where did your passion start for activating God's people back to this greater mission? Yeah, that's man, that's a good question, Alan. Um, I, you know, part of it probably I didn't actually become a believer till I was almost thirty years old, and up until that time, my brother and I were in the restaurant business together, and and I don't know, even when I first became a Christian and in the first church that that I was a part of, even then I just there was a little bit of a I don't know, almost like a sense of discontent or it just what I saw in the church, I just. Um, I don't know, just, it, something, it just seemed like there was a, a chasm between what I saw in the church and, and the person of Jesus. And I don't know, very early on, I felt like God was using kind of my entrepreneurial spirit um, to get involved in church planting. And, um, and even then, I just felt like uh, I just knew the church was, was more than just gathering on Sunday. I just knew that it, it had to do with participating with what Jesus was doing in the lives of people. And, and then, you know, there's lots of different influences then when I started kind of on a journey, you know, from way back to, you know, missionaries and authors like Leslie Newbegin and then more current authors like uh, Alan Hirsch and, and Michael Frost and, you know, many others that you're very familiar with as well, that just started to give me language and uh, just a perspective on what does it look like then to really activate the church. So the church wasn't just about the gathered expression, but we we really needed to figure out what does it look like to, for the church to participate in what God's already doing in the lives of people. That's been so helpful for me. I remember joining with, I don't know, it must have been about 20 of us around tables uh, before a conference in Kansas City and just kind of just seeking to hash this out as, as practitioners in the trenches. So I've so appreciated your work over the years, Brad. You are continuing a conversation that we need greatly where we're talking about money, we're talking about time. Bivocational and co-vocational are those two words. Can you explain a little bit of the difference between those two words? Yeah. Yeah, that's a good question, too. Um, well, I just, when I moved into this new role about three years ago at the North American Mission Board, I knew that one of the big rocks that I wanted to get to work on right away was to, what I would call, I wanted to change the biased narrative around bivocational ministry or really bivocational church planting specifically. And what I mean by that is that unfortunately, I think way too many bivocational church planters and bivocational pastors, they feel almost like second class. They, you know, they hear these little whispers of like, when are you going to go to a church big enough to pay you full time? Or, 
you know, when are, when are you going to stop being halftime over here and halftime over here? And just lots of just, you know, they don't feel like it's a legit ministry. And uh, I, I just think there's nothing further from the truth that, that actually I think bivocational planters need to be uh, almost like our new heroes as it relates to church planting. And part of the reason is I think there are enormous benefits, just lots and lots of beautiful and wonderful benefits, both missiologically, but also financially. So I just knew that we needed to do lots of different things to try to change that kind of negative bias narrative that was out there. Well, one of the ways to do that, I felt like, you know, is to highlight the benefits of BIVO. I think also it's to highlight the stories of bivocational planters. But a third thing that I felt like we needed to do is, in a sense, we needed to kind of change the language around bivocational church planting. Uh, in other words, we, we needed to consider different language that would actually broaden the opportunities that we have to think along the lines of bivocational. So a couple of years ago at the North American Mission Board, we started using this language of co-vocation. And so let me let me kind of tell you the difference in my mind between the two. And then I still use the language of both bivo and covo. I'll kind of share with you a little nuance. So first off, I would say the reason I think we need to change the language is that I'm afraid the word bivocation actually gets in the way of what we want to see accomplished. So the way I'll describe it sometimes is I'll say, I'll say to people or ask them, have you ever heard the word bifurcate? So to bifurcate means to take one thing and divide it into two parts. So unfortunately, I think a lot of times in bivocational ministry or church planting, that's what we do. We compartmentalize what we might do in the marketplace work-wise we compartmentalize that with ministry. So in other words, we, we have too many planters or pastors that, that think, oh, I do work over here in the marketplace so I can do ministry over here in the church. Well, I don't think that's biblical. I mean, if God reigns over all things, uh, then God's reigning over all those different realms. So what, you know, the way I'll describe that sometimes is that's the kind of the classic sacred secular divide that we think some vocations are sacred and other vocations are secular. So Instead of bifurcating and kind of dividing or compartmentalizing what we do in the marketplace with what we do ministry-wise, we started using this word co-vocation. So think about that little prefix co, C-O. It, that actually comes from the Latin prefix com, C-O-M, which means to have in common. So think of words like co-pilot or co-author or co-laborer. Uh, that's about bringing two things in alignment or bringing two things together. So it has to do with togetherness or in common or equality. So I actually think, again, I use both the language of both, but here's a little nuance for me. So when I describe a bivocational church planter, I say that is someone that has a second job to supplement the salary the church provides. And their hope or their dream or aspiration is the church will eventually be in a position to provide the financial support for the planter to leave their bivocational job to focus full-time on the church plant. So we all know lots of bivocational planters or pastors, they kind of think that way, that if the church grows big enough, you know, eventually I'm going to go full-time kind of on staff at the church. Sure. Like a, a seasonal mindset almost of, you know, we'll get there or give it some time or space to grow. But you're saying that's just a different, a little bit of a different mindset with Kovo? Well, yes. And, and that's a good thing. I don't want to discredit that. I mean, there's lots of pastors and church planters that think along those lines, and that's fine. The way the nuance for me with Covo is I would say a co-vocational church planter 
is someone who has a primary vocation in the marketplace that they never intend to leave. So in other words, they have a clear calling the marketplace to be a teacher or a mechanic or a graphic designer or a police officer or a doctor, whatever it might be, but they also have a desire to weave that calling into a plan to start something, to start a church. So my hope in the future is that as we champion the benefits of bivocational planting and we actually champion bivo planters themselves, we'll actually have more and more bivo planters that in a sense decide to become covo planters. So in other words, even when the church gets to a point that they can like support them financially full time, they just see there's too many benefits of being in the marketplace and they actually decide to stay there, even though they could have left to be fully funded from the church. So that's a little nuance for me between Bivo and Covo. So Bivo, it's more of a, a temporary job in the marketplace where Covo, it's someone that knows that God's called and wired them to do a particular thing in the marketplace. They never intend to leave that, but but they want to they wanna understand or know how could they start something while they're doing this marketplace calling. And it's really beautiful. I tell you, over the last you know couple of years, I've just had the wonderful opportunity to meet and interview dozens and dozens, really hundreds of co-vocational planters all over North America and just beautiful stories of really cool things they're doing in the marketplace. And they see that as ministry, but they're, but they're, at the same time, they're aligning that with a calling to start something. What are some things you're learning through those interviews that are surprising you? Well, um, the, you know, my favorite questions to ask these Covo planters is both about the benefits and the challenges. So, you know, the benefits uh, out of all the interviews I've done, and this is no exaggeration, the number one benefit every single time has to do with mission. So it has to do with it, the fact that they have access to a mission field they wouldn't have otherwise. And they just have lots and lots of wonderful stories about people they've connected with, opportunities to build relationships with lost people, eventually share the gospel, to see life change, transformation, all because they're in the marketplace. So they just have amazing respectability, or I would call it street cred, um, in the community because they have a job in the marketplace like everyone else. So a lot of times I'll jokingly say it actually gives you street cred both inside the church and outside the church. And the and the Kovo planters that I've interviewed, they all talk about that. They just talk about what an incredible benefit it is. It, I'll tell you, Ali, I'll tell you one story just a couple of weeks ago. There's a co-vocational planter on the East Coast. He's actually a CIA federal agent. And he planted a church about six years ago never took a, a, a penny from the church because he's fully funded from the marketplace. And I thought whenever I asked him about benefits, I thought, you know, when we talk about this kind of street cred inside the church and outside the church, I thought he had a great answer to that question. He said that people in his church, whenever they talk to someone about their church, they always lead with their pastor being a CIA federal agent. <laughs> Sure. So yeah. It's kind of funny, you know, how sometimes people will say, you know, oh, our church is different. Well, they can really say our church is different because our pastor is a CIA federal agent. Um, so it's funny. they kind of they kind of use what his calling in the marketplace as a way to talk about their church being different. So that's one of the big, you know, when they whenever I ask them about the benefits, uh, one of the things I've learned is just that kind of access to a mission field benefit is is enormous. And then the, and the second one that's, I think is probably most obvious is financial 
benefit. They just they all talk about how they have more money to hire other staff or they have more money to give to mission and ministry. Uh, they just talk about how finances are just almost never an issue when their primary support's coming from the marketplace. It's interesting. I was down in Alabama not that long ago training some leaders, and one of them is a horseshoer. Uh, I, maybe there's a name for that, but to spend time with him saying that's what he does majority of the week, it provides opportunity for him, and he likes doing multiple things as well, and, and it just has really worked. And like you say, there's so many benefits to that. It's interesting, Brad, that I think I mean, a majority of churches are small, and we forget how many rural churches there are out there that you just don't hear about. And I think there's churches today that are transitioning back to this. Maybe they have to, or some finances are changing within the church. But this has been the these have been the unsung heroes in many ways of ministry from even you know frontier missionaries and beyond. And so we we need to give a voice to those, uh, whether they're smaller churches, rural churches, or just intentional churches about finances, wanting to give more away. We need to be telling this story. I think times are changing as well. There are churches that were medium-sized churches, and maybe they're smaller now that are going to have to figure out some different things. Talk about the the finances. What paradigms are changing, Brad, that are going to make bivocational and co-vocational more of an option for more leaders? Yeah, well, you brought up several great points there, Alan. I just think, uh, yeah, the financial stability piece is just an enormous benefit. And usually when I talk about the financial benefits, uh, I'll usually kind of frame it around three words or phrases. I'll say, first off, for the church planter, I think there's greater financial stability. And what I mean by that is when the primary support for that planter is coming from the marketplace, I've just discovered there's less financial strain on the church planter's family. So think about it, especially when that support from the marketplace includes benefits like insurance, which we all know is a huge thing for families. Um, but if there's vacation or some kind of benefits like annuity, retirement, there's just way less financial strain on the church planter's family when the primary support isn't coming from the church plant. But then second, I would say there's great financial stability for the church plant itself. Just like I mentioned, when I talked to these co-vocational planters, they just talk about how they just have more money available to give away. They have more money available for mission and ministry because the primary support's not, you know, coming from that little church plant. But then the third financial stability piece uh, are what I would call the church planting entity. So in other words, it, you know, denomination or network, we all know anyone that's in denominational life, we do not have enough money to plant all the churches that we need to plant. And the reality is there are some cities in North America, they're just too expensive to like send a planter into that city to be fully funded. And we have certain population pockets or, you know, people group pockets that you're just never there, you know, their income is low enough that there's just never going to be the opportunity for a church planter to be like fully funded if they're really reaching into some of the more impoverished pockets of poverty um, so the only possible way we're going to see a, a real church planting movement is by engaging with bivocational and co-vocational church planters. So I, I, I would say I think it's the best financial strategy for church planting we can have uh, because there's I just I'm convinced that there are tens of thousands of people sitting in our churches that didn't even know it was an option. I mean, they, one of the reasons we need to tell these stories is not only to be an encouragement to the Covo bivocational planters 
currently, but but also we need to tell these stories to crack open the imagination of people that didn't even know it was an option. You know, that you have a, a, a high school science teacher and they hear the story about another teacher that planted a church. They didn't even know that was an option. They didn't know they could plant a church and be a school teacher at the same time. So I just think there's lots of financial stability kinds of uh, issues involved here that just make it a, a great strategy. Yeah, agreed. So you talked about the benefits earlier. What are some of the barriers to this? Well, when I, again, interviewing all of these co-vocational planters, the number one is, is time. Um, just no doubt about it that, you know, they always ask, well, how do, how do you balance family time, ministry time, the time you spend in the marketplace? So I think there's several kind of solutions, uh, kind of multifaceted solution as it relates to that. I think one is we have to talk about margins. We have to talk about, you know, what does it look like to create margin in our lives? What does it look like to carve out margin? Um, so I always have that conversation with uh, a church planter, especially a Bible Covo church planter, uh, is what are their rhythms and what do they look like as it relates to family work and ministry. Um, the second thing is I think we have to be very realistic about expectations, the expectations that we put, you know, a planter puts on themselves, but also what are the expectations from, you know, if there is a denomination or a church planning network, what are the expectations they have on that Bible Covo planter? Because the reality is I would argue the expectations have to be different for someone that's working 40 or 50 hours a week in the marketplace versus someone that's fully funded. Uh, the other thing, and this is probably the number one key is we have to talk about uh, planting with a church planting team. Uh, you know, I think any time we plant a church, we need to plant with a team, but it's even more crucial if you're a Bible Kobo planter. So, and even that whole conversation, I have a little different take, and I, I, I think you do as well, Alan, that when it comes to church planting teams, I think most often when we think of teams, we think in the area of ministry categories, so in other words, most people, when they hear church planning team, they think, oh, I need a worship leader and I need a youth person. I need a children's person. But I actually, you know, you might still think about ministry categories in a sense, but I think the best way to think about church planting teams is to think about APES teams. So, and I know you're very familiar with this, Alan, but just for those that may not, what we mean by APES, it's A-P-E-S-T from Ephesians 4. It's more about giftings rather than ministry categories. And and I just really encourage Bible Covo planters to uh, think really well about how are they wired and gifted in, in regards to APES. And then secondly, figure out what's missing on their team, who is missing on their team. Um, so I, I have a little bit of a process I like to help Bible Covo planters go through to make sure that they have a kind of a fully five-fold functioning team. Uh, once again, I just think it's absolutely crucial for a Bible Covo planter otherwise there's just uh, you know great opportunity or, or you know or, or fear of, of of burnout um so that's the number one challenge i think it has to do with with time management and uh, just you know healthy rhythms um that they're using in the midst of of doing life yeah that's really helpful because we're i mean we're huge fans of team at stay forth but without understanding your wiring, you actually don't know what team that you need around you and what do you bring to the team. So I love that word wiring. We use that a lot. And we call it unique design, which is, you know, apostle, prophet, prophet evangelist, shepherd, teacher. And then what are 
your spiritual giftings? And then what are things like we utilize the Enneagram? What are things that you, that God has hardwired you to do, to be, to bring into the world? And it's amazing how many people, even at pretty high levels of leadership or ministry, don't know those things. So how are we supposed to bring a team around us? And I'm, I'm really glad we've, you know, nearly witnessed the death of the solo parachute planter. Um, that used to be so normal, sort of send them into a community. I'm seeing more tribes, denominations, and networks um, hold those folks back until they have a team that they've developed there. Because, I mean, obviously burnout comes so, so, so quickly today with the level of overwhelm. So yeah, you're absolutely talking our language, Brad. What are you encouraged about, whether it's within the co-vocational conversation and these steps people are making, or just in general in the church right now? What are you encouraged about? Well, really just the, I would say the innovation and creativity that I see among so many church planters. Um, I still think most denominations and church planting networks are a little behind what's actually taking place in the field. Uh, so the more time I spend in the field with planters, the more encouraged I am. Um, and, and it's funny, I actually kind of see all of this almost like there's three different streams. You have the Bivo guy who's, you know, the part-time job in the marketplace. You have the Covo planter who has a full-time calling in the marketplace and they want to start a church. But then I, I actually see kind of a third stream and there's different language we could use. Uh, you could call it entrepreneurial church planting. You could call it business for mission rather than business as a mission. But there are more and more planters across North America that are starting businesses and they're planting churches out of that. And I just being kind of a, a you know small business startup guy, you know, years ago, I just that is fascinating to me. I just love uh, conversations just again, all over the country, lots of innovation and creativity kind of in that realm from, you know, opening co-working spaces to coffee shops, to CrossFit gyms, um, just lots of creativity. It kind of around all different sorts of business ventures, kind of marketplace strategies, but with the intention of not only bringing restoration into the city, but restoration through sharing the gospel and, and planting churches. So that's probably the most kind of exciting to me, I think. Um, and again, there, you know, there's, there's a lot in, in the existing church in North America that if we're not careful, we can get discouraged by. But once again, the more time I spend with planters in the cities across the country, uh, the more encouraged I am just because I see just the passion for the gospel and, and the passion for, a uh, just a sense of, again, kind of creativity and innovation um, to see new expressions of the church being birthed. Agreed. In uh, about 10 years, 10 plus years of working with church planners, I always have said they don't ask why, they ask why not. Why not infuse this together? Why not meet in this space? Why not do it this way? And, you know, that's beautiful to see some of the the new uh, breath of God through creativity and, and innovation in that. So, Brad, uh, help us fast forward a little bit. Maybe look 10 years ahead for us. We have less resources available. Things are shifting. There's things like replanting going on and church buildings for sale, things like that. Where do you think it's going to push new churches to for innovation and creativity 10 years from today? Well, for me, and this this may be a little idealistic, my perfect case scenario of what this looks like in the future is that we have two or three co-vocational couples and two or three co-vocational singles that go together to plant a church. So 
And, and I mean, just think of the possibilities. If you had a team of two or three couples, two or three singles, and they all had a primary calling in the marketplace, think about the relational connections they would have in all the nooks and crannies of that city or that community. Think of the financial stability. I mean, just the resources they would have available when all these people had a primary calling in the marketplace. So I just think, I mean, like team-wise, that's that's what I'd love to see in the future are really fully blown co-vocational teams with couples and singles. Um, but I think that, you know, the plants are just going to be more incarnational. They're going to, they're going to be more local, you know, they're just going to be smaller, more creative expressions of church. Um, and my hope is that they would be creative expressions of church that where the organizing principle was mission. So rather than just having a gathering and you're, you're trying to attract other believers to that gathering, they really have a heart for participating in what God's already doing in that context. So, um, you know, I see more and more of kind of smaller expressions of church that, again, have a heart either for a people group or for a place. So, again, the language I like to use a lot of times is that mission is actually the organizing principle. So they have a mission to reach a particular neighborhood or there's a certain network of people, a people group that they have a mission to to kind of incarnate or inhabit into that that mission group or, or, that, or that people group. So. I just think we're going to see, hopefully we're going to see a greater uh, variety, you know, creativity as it, as it relates to expressions of church. Um, we just have to move beyond kind of this cookie cutter approach to where, you know, 99% of the churches look like all the rest of the churches. If we're really going to reach in and, and to reach into a very changing, increasing missionary context, we're, we're going to have to, uh, we're going to have to lead with mission rather than leading with church. Agreed. Uh, Brad, you've been in the church planting space quite a while, and I'm curious what you see in, in this space. Do you think that church planters are more collaborative than they used to be? Um, yeah, that's a good question. I I think so. Um, I mean, I think I, I meet with, hear from, you know, hang out with planters that are much more kingdom-minded than I think probably even I was when I planted a church 20 years ago. I mean, we talked a lot about it, you know, collaborating with other churches and church plants in the city, regardless of tribe or denomination. But I don't know that we did that very well. I do think more and more church planters, they realize that the needs are just too great, uh, you know, for their single church plant to really make a difference in the city. So I know I do think there's there's a, a greater kind of kingdom collaboration mindset for for most planters. I mean, let's hope so, because no doubt the need is uh, just too great for a single church. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think that's fair. And uh, I mean, I'd, I'd like to think that, that that's uh, that's true. <laughs> I mean, it's it's almost that I mean, if we think about resources and scarcity, is that we realize as we're becoming more and more post-Christian in North America that we need each other more. And I'm seeing not only teams becoming more collaborative and, and church planting teams and hopefully even leadership teams at established churches, but it's as if planters are becoming more collaborative with their city and working for the good and the restoration of their city, but also with other planters. And, um, and I thought maybe that was just here in Colorado, but I'm hearing that stirring wherever I go is that these are friends, these are partners, these are collaborators, these aren't certainly on a, aren't on the other side of anything. Um, 
they are certainly working toward the good of the city. So it's just been interesting to watch some of those things happening. I think they're connected. Maybe we'll chat over coffee at some point of some different um, pieces of that. We can always dig in more on the conversation. Uh, But Brad, we want to get a little bit personal always here on the podcast. We believe that leaders can live right side up in this upside down world, that overwhelm and burnout don't have to come for you. So how do you stay healthy as a leader and as a human? Yeah, that's another great question. So um, I've always, uh, I mean, really the last 30 years, I mean, health, I don't know who kind of instilled this in me, but um, just kind of the idea that it's not really, it's not necessarily about the quantity of life, it's more about the quality of life. And someone just helped me understand that to think kind of long haul, you know, kind of long term. So, you know, my health has always been very important. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm very careful with what I eat. Um, I mean, I could give you all kinds of details there about just certain things that I'm, I'm careful about, but I probably the number one kind of best discipline, you know, I, I've probably had in my life the last 30 years is, um, exercise. I mean, I, I, uh, I do something every day. I mean, I, and usually over lunch, I mean, I block out an hour every day. Sometimes it's some weight training. Sometimes it's cardio. Um, because, and one of the reasons I do that is because when you travel, it, it is more difficult, especially if you have a day and the whole day as a travel day. So I don't feel bad then about taking a day off because I'm real consistent the rest of the time. But I just think I, I would encourage leaders, you, you absolutely have to make it a priority, just like you would schedule on some other appointment, you know, on a daily basis. Um, you just have to make it a, an appointment. And, and most of the time for me, it's, it's over lunch. So even when, you know, I'll get an email or a phone call or a text from someone asking if I could do lunch, uh, in most cases, I'll say, hey, I can meet before lunch or I could meet you right after lunch because I'm, I just guard that lunchtime when I go to the to the gym. Uh, I, you know, now if there's someone and they absolutely have no other option other than to meet at lunch, I'll do that. But I really try to guard that that hour block at lunchtime. Um, and then the other thing I would say is you've got to find, uh, what, what is it for you that refreshes you and renews you? You know, is it a walk? Is it music? Is it reading? Is it being in scripture? Is it prayer time, silence, solitude? You got to find what is that thing that renews you on a daily basis. And once again, you just, you have to make it a priority. I tell you just probably about two weeks ago, I was talking with a co-vocational planter and we were doing one of these interviews and he was, he just admitted to me, he was on the brink of burnout. Uh, he worked 50 hours a week. He had a family with three young kids and we just, you know, the interview just kind of stopped and we spent the next 30 minutes just talking about how he just, he, you know, he said, I just don't have time to rest. And I told him, you don't not have time to rest. And, you know, I, I remember someone shared this with me a long time ago. I thought it was a good analogy. He said, you know, have you ever been really, really thirsty, uh, almost like on the brink of dehydration? He said, well, when you get to the point to where you are so thirsty, he said, it's too late. And he said, we need to think of Sabbath and rest that same way, that if you're experiencing, you're on the brink of burnout or you're experiencing burnout, he says, just like when, when you get to a point to where you're super thirsty or you're dehydrated, it's too late. So you have to be drinking on a regular basis to make sure that you don't get dehydrated. Well, it's the same way with burnout. We, we have to carve out that time and space to be renewed and refreshed. And I think 
that should include for me, it should include diet, exercise and rest. Um, or because if we get to that point, we are experiencing burnout, it's going to be very difficult to recover. Um, so we just have to make it a priority. And, and I, if that means you have to actually put it in your daytime or your calendar, then, then please do so. I think so. I mean, I think we have to put it, put it in there or it's just not going to happen. They're just dreams. They're not actually plans. Uh, to me, nothing, nothing really happens that isn't in the day planner consistently, uh, unless I really, 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 really want to to do that thing. But man, life just swallows it up. I've done a similar thing, Brad, I play basketball uh, and I've done it at lunch um, two or three days a week and then squeezing exercise in other places, hopefully getting in the outdoors on a weekend has been amazing mm-hmm. for me. And uh, it's kind of, man, if, if I miss out on that, joke's on me because that refreshes me. I love it. I've created something that, that I enjoy. Uh, I was listening to James Clear on a podcast recently, his book, Atomic Habits and talking about stacking those wins on top of each other. And uh, we had Mac Lake here on the podcast. I know you know Mac. And Mac talked about how the health piece for him, the physical health piece of working out, of exercise, of eating healthy actually spurs him on in the other areas. So he kind of stacks those habits. And I, I think it's so true. I think especially for guys, especially sort of high-strung, high-capacity guys, how many times we're in a bad mood, a bad attitude, can't sleep, maybe just because we have an exercise. So Brad, thanks for that. I know that doesn't always feel like the most, the most spiritual. I spend three hours in prayer, but uh, that is so important for us, for us here. Uh, Brad, how can people get a hold of you? How can people learn more about co-vocational church planting and a lot of things that you're writing? Yeah, that's good. So uh, this last year, I wrote a book that's simply called Co-vocational Church Planting. It's actually a free download so if you just Google co-vocational church planting, trust me, it's the only thing that will come up, uh, but it will take you, there's a landing page actually on the NAM website where you can download that as an ebook in either English or Spanish. Uh, there's also kind of a little bit of a precursor to the Covo book. There's another little ebook that I wrote. It's only about a hundred pages. The Covo book's about 300 pages, but there's a rethink ebook that you can also download as a free PDF in e- either English or Spanish. So if you were just to Google rethink and then my name, um, you could also, it'll take you to a landing page. Um, and then also I have a blog, a lot of resources, a lot of free stuff on, on the blog. It's at missionalchurchnetwork.com and my contact information's on that blog. But, and then also there's links to those free downloads on the front page of that blog as well. So if someone was just interested to read more about Vivo Covo, um, you know, just, kind of as we talked a little earlier, Alan, about activating, you know, the church. Um, there's a lot of resources on that missionalchurchnetwork.com site. Well, Brad, thanks for all of what you do. And if you, if you are listening to this podcast and you are wondering whether you are a second-class leader or pastor because you are not working full-time, please be encouraged by this to keep going. You are not second-class. You are a hero. Continue leaning in actually utilizing your vocation. So Brad, thanks so much for calling us back to that message. You bet, Alan. Yeah, great to be with you today. Well, friends, I hope that was a helpful conversation for you. I know many times we just don't have the space to be able to talk with either our bosses or denominational leaders or other network leaders about finances. And we wanted to get in there and have this conversation, but you got to follow up on this with someone. There's a crucial conversation you probably need to have around finances, or it could be incredibly detrimental to your company, your startup, your church, your nonprofit. 
So I just want to leave you with this question and this next step. What crucial conversation do you need to have with someone around you about money? What crucial conversation do you need to have around you about money? For some of you, it may be with your spouse. For others, it may be with a close friend, your boss, your supervisor. You may need to raise some more funds. I know that you guys are doing some incredible things. And part of our mission at Stay Forth is to help you doing those incredible things, to make sure that in the process with that stress and that pressure of providing from multiple buckets, that you don't find yourself in the complexity, burning out, overwhelmed and throwing your arms up, say, I have to go do something else. It is possible to live within this financial tension, to lead well, to lead healthy, and ultimately for many of you to actually enjoy doing multiple things instead of just one. Guys, there's so many different paradigms to lead in. Don't get caught thinking that you need to be stressed, anxious, and heading toward burnout if you're going to be leading for the long haul. We are the crazy ones, crazy enough to believe that you can indeed lead for the long haul without losing your soul. Guys, keep leading healthy. Follow us over on Instagram. We drop some inspiration and some stories and some thoughts for you over there. Our Facebook page, we're always dropping new things there. But also, our Right Side Up community is for those exclusively who have bought the journal. We show you how to use our Right Side Up journal to get more productive, more healthy. We drop some free tools there from time to time. We throw out discussion questions, and we have an awesome community that's really starting to develop there. So we would love for you to jump over to our Right Side Up community on Facebook. Again, you have to buy a journal first to do that, and you'll find that over at stayforth.com backslash resources. Guys, we want to help you lead for the long haul. Thanks for listening to the podcast, but make sure you're having crucial conversations about finances. We don't want you to lose your way, to grow in complexity, and to lose your health in the meantime. Guys, it is possible to lead healthy and lead for the long haul. We'll catch you next time. We focus so long.